Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. The scripture for this Bible study lesson will be taken from 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, starting with verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, especially in our relations with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything that you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of our Lord Jesus. Our lesson this morning is a very interesting one, as all of them are, to say the least. Paul here starts out by making two points. And it's interesting to note, now we studied this lesson before, First and Second Corinthians, and we know all the hardship, the difficulty, the confusion, the frustration, and bickering, and backbiting, and all the other stuff that goes on in a church. And here Paul starts out with, what does he call these people at Corinth? Well, he called them saints. You remember that now, he called them saints. Now, that's the first point I would call to you. But after Paul has chastised them and straightened them out and threatened them, he's going to come and take care of them. He starts out with, he recognized them as being saints. Now, how many of you feel like a saint this morning? <laughs> well, none of us would claim to be a saint, you know, because we've got this concept that we've studied before, that a saint is someone that lives without sin and without conflict and difficulty and frustration and hardship. And usually someone's already dead, you know. But not to Paul. 
I don't know whether the Roman Catholic Church got this concept that only the Pope can make a saint out of you. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to be made a saint, honey, there's only one that has the power and the ability and capability to make you a saint. And who's that? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course it is. Now, I don't think Paul was thanking God for what has happened to him. He was thanking God in the midst of what was happened to him. Now, Paul is saying here that he is praising God in the midst of everything. In the midst of everything. And for Paul to say this, and if this is all we understood about Paul, we'd think, well, you know, that's just idle talk, or that comes awful easy. But how many of you know enough about Paul's history? In fact, I'm not quite sure myself. How many times was Paul beaten? Give me a rough guess. How many times was Paul beaten? And altogether was about nine times, eight or nine times. I'm not sure of it either. And he was left for dead. He was shipwrecked and snake bitten. Whatever could happen to a person almost happened to Paul. And you read this long litany of stuff that happened to the poor old critter. He knew what problems were. He was in the midst of it. He knew. He's not talking off the top of his head. This is a very potent thing that Paul is saying here that we'll get to it in a minute. What he is saying about the suffering and what he's been through. This is a man that knows what he's talking about. This is why he can say to the Corinthian people, in effect, look, I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. Now, he says in everything, give thanks to God. In the midst of all this difficulty and hardship that he's been in and gone through, and he thinks about God, and the thing that he looks above his hardships and his difficulty, and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he can bless God and praise God in that God has given to us the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I don't care what kind of dilemma that you might be in, or how hard and how difficult it might be, but there's one thing that you can be grateful for, and I've just said it, what is it? You can be grateful that God gave us the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's what Paul is saying. And so he can categorically say, in every situation that you're in, or every situation that you're called to be in, or every difficulty and hardship that you're in, there is that in the midst of that situation that you can look up and bless God. He said, in effect, if you can't think of anything else in the midst of this hardship and difficulty you're in, you can thank God for what? For the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he has saved your soul. You see. He has opened the kingdom of God to you. You are a child of God. Regardless of what the situation might look like. That you're involved in. You've got to remember that in any situation that you're in. Good, bad, hard, difficult or whatever it is. That you're still a child of God. Who made it possible for you to be a child of God? The Lord Jesus Christ. God did. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ in order that you may have access to his eternal kingdom. Something happened to Paul that we do not know about. In the midst of all these difficulties and hardships this man had, he had some real problems. And they were physical problems. That eighth verse, For we were so utterly, unbearably Christ that we despaired for life. Now, the word is used here in our scripture, who uh, consoles us, the fourth verse. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, and one who consoles us. They didn't ask me when they was translating this in this modern version here, or I told them, forget it the way you've got it translated here. Because you see, it has lost its meaning, console. What comes to mind when you think about being consoled? Consoled is sort of a toned down type of a concept, you see. It's like saying, oh, now, now, everything's going to be all right, you know. Oh, no, no, that's not what Paul is really saying. This word that we translate here from the Greek to come out as uh, to console or to comfort, we've lost the meaning of this word to comfort us. It's tied up in God's love, but it comes through as the one who can give you the strength to do what you need to do. The background of this word is, in the Greek, is to fortify. Like you would fortify a fort to be prepared to fight. It's a real strong word. The comfort means to give you the strength and the, the courage and whatever else it is that you need to stand. It's a very strong term. It's not something just to pat you on the back and say, no, 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 everything's going to be all right. No, no. It means that uh, he gives you the ability and capability to stand on your own two feet and make your defense. You see, that's what Paul is talking about here. And he says, now I know this can happen because I have been there to strengthen, to fortify. I read this somewhere and I thought it was quite good. Someone says, suffering colors life. And someone says, well, that's right. Suffering does color life. He says, but I pick the colors. Now, this is comfort. You see, we don't catch this here. It gives you that ability and capability. Suffering comes, and it does color life, that's for sure. But I'm going to pick the ways that it's going to color my life. I'm going to say how it affects me, you see. It's not something that's going to do me yet. Now, he's talking about this weight, afflicted. We've lost the meaning to that term, too. There used to be, I think I'm right in this, some of you who know English history might correct me, but I know I'm close to the truth. There was an old English law years and years ago that one way that you were punished if you were caught doing certain crimes, they would stretch you out on a floor or table and put a heavy weight on your breast. And it depends on the crime that you committed. If it was deserving of death, they'd just keep piling the weight on you until at last the weight of it crushed you to death. Now, this is something of what Paul has in mind here, that the one who is able to take care of the weight, you see, that is on you. Now, he's talking about the difficulty that comes to us and the hardships that we're tied up in and all the suffering. Is he after I have said everything that I can say about suffering, there's still a mystery about it. But I like what Paul is, is driving at here and what he's really saying. I didn't know this was really here until I looked at this lesson and began to see what Paul was really talking about. He's saying, in effect, that when Paul was in trouble, he did two things. One thing, he told about his own personal experience. Or Paul's telling about his personal experience, you know he's facing a pretty difficult situation. The second thing, he weighs the cross 
and the crucifixion like a flag, you know, like we would wave a flag in front of people for patriotism, you know. Well, this is what Paul does for the kingdom of God. And this is why he brings in the Lord Jesus Christ and his suffering here, you see. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you don't get anything else out of what comes out of this lesson, let me share this with you. Paul is saying something great in our suffering. Well, let me put it this way to you. How many of you have ever thought in your mind, when you see something bad happen to someone else, you say, well, he's paying or she's paying for her sins. Have you ever thought that? Yeah, most of us have, I'm afraid. Or how many of you, even more personal, have come to a place in your life where it's a very serious matter, and something difficult and hard has happened to you, and you've thought in your mind, well, maybe the Lord is paying me back for my <coughs> sins, or something I've done, or something I've not done. You come to a place where you chastise yourself, where you see yourself as being chastised by the Lord, too. Well, now, let me tell you something. That is the furthest thing from Paul's mind. No way. No way. You see, what Paul is saying here is, who is it that has paid for your sins? Who is the only one that can pay for your sins? Who was he? Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying here, there's nothing, any suffering that you can do, even unto death, to account for your sin. You see what that is really saying on the brighter side of this thing? Honey, the Lord is not punishing you because of your sin, because Jesus has done what? Paid for him. Whatever happens to you, how difficult, how hard, how black, how frustrating, and so forth, and so on it is, don't you think, that God is calling on you to pay for your sins. They have already been paid for. And that's what Paul is saying. That's the reason he raised the old cross, you know. It has something to say. You can't pay for your sins. Don't even attribute it to God that he's punishing you because of your sins. You do a disservice to the Lord Jesus Christ if you even think the thought, you see. Don't even think the thought. Don't let it go through your mind that you can pay for your sins in any way. You have not enough money, and you have not enough in your being. And Paul is making a distinction here. Paul is bringing up all of his suffering, but his suffering is not and to redeem people. No, no, no. Your redemption has already been made, and it can only be made, and only was made by one person. I don't care how you want to read in there, all this other stuff. But like I told you to start with, there's much here that I do not understand about this. But I know what Paul is saying and I believe what Paul is saying because I believe that the center of our salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ and he alone could atone for my sin. Now that's right down the pike. That's mainline theology. That is the heart of the scripture. So now Paul is trying to answer a question though you see. Well while the suffering. Now he answers part of the question, not the total of it. And so he is saying, in effect, that what has happened to him and what happens to people like him and the rest of us who have been tied up in suffering, which all of us have suffered, we do not suffer for redemption's sake or anybody else. And they see, that's an easy statement for me to make. But if you carry this out, 
in your life, you'll not ever come to the place where you get down on yourself and think God is punishing you. If you listen to what I say, you see, it is the Lord Jesus Christ and He alone that has redeemed you from sin. Nobody else. You can't add to it. You can't take from it, really. It's done. Finished. That is a fact of history, you see. And it is also a fact of the ongoing of the kingdom of God. Now, Paul is saying, in effect, that God is preparing you for something, and you're going through this, and all these hardships and difficulty, that God can use it. From time to time, we see people going to a priest that has never been married to tell you how to raise a kid. Does that sound sort of strange to you? Sort of strange to me. If I want to know how to raise a kid, am I going to somebody that's never raised one? Am I going to somebody that's raised about ten of them? You know? <laughs> if I had my choice to go to someone that's never been married, never had a child, or would you go to someone that has raised about five kids successfully? Now, which would you go to? You would go to the one, of course, that's been successful. They've been there. Now, this is what Paul's saying, precisely what he's saying. He's saying, in effect, now, if you want to talk about pain, he says, I can tell you about it. You want to talk about suffering, I can tell you about it. Why? Because I've been there. You know, I've been there. Now, one of the greatest helps for alcoholics is the AA. Now, the reason it is, exactly what Paul said. Those people would say, well, I've been there. I know, I know, I know I've been there. Now, Paul is saying that here is where uh, you can, because of your suffering and all that you've been through, you have been there, now you're in a position where you can help someone else. You've been there. You can be a consolation to someone else. You can be creative in their life, you see. And you can be united with them in spirit, you see, because you have something in common. Now, this is a fact of our life, that if you find someone, even a stranger, that you know that you've got something in common with them, you have a greater bond to those people than you would have if you didn't have anything in common with them. Paul is saying that this is the great blessing that can come to you through suffering. One of the great blessings is because you can come to a place not to redeem, understand, but to be a comforter in their life. Now, we said this comforter does what? A comforter is one that strengthens. A comforter is one that fortifies another person. I'll tell you this story, it's, and it was called to my attention again because someone had remembered me telling it years and years ago, but it comes out right here in a beautiful way. One of the kindergarten teachers, she came down one morning to the audience, she says, well, preachers, I've got two kids up there. She says, you're going to have to talk to them. They're just beside themselves, a little boy and a little girl. They're just tearing up everything, and I can't calm them down, I can't do anything with them. You're just going to have to help me with them this morning. I cannot handle what they're doing. Well, if you've ever been in that office, new office over there, the way that they fixed it, you know they have the church office here, and then they have an ante room right next to the office. It's part of the office. 
and they had this great big table in there, conference table, and those real high back chairs, I mean they were big chairs, you know. And so I said, well bring them down. So she goes up and she brings down the cutest little boy and girl you've ever seen. So I tried to intimidate them, see. That was my method, bringing them into the office, tried to intimidate these little buggers. And so I put one of them in this big chair like this, and the other in this big chair, and the big chair swallowed them. I mean, they're sitting on the edge of it, you know, and their little feet didn't even touch the floor. But I had those chairs right close together. They had these chairs, had these arms on them. And so I got them sitting in that chair, and boy, I put my meanest look on, you know. And I went talking to this little old boy, and using the strong words as I could, trying to intimidate him. But I noticed this little girl, see. This little girl was on this side, and the boy was over here. And I noticed her little arm going down under that chair like that, and she reached over and grabbed that little boy's hand. And I had that little boy going in my favor for a while, but when she touched his hand, I mean to tell you, boy, it was fire. <laughs> no way I could intimidate him. It was just like putting this electric shock in that boy. I mean, he straightened up in that chair, and there was no way that I could intimidate him. I mean, it was a lost cause. I mean, it was a lost cause. But it nearly blew my mind. I couldn't carry on because I, I saw what was happening, see, and I couldn't separate the little buggers. And I told the teacher, I said, well, I've done the best I could. So I sent him back down. But this was too cute that you couldn't believe what, what the transformation that went on in this little old boy's life. I mean, instantaneous, as he felt that, that other little hand on his. Well, now, this is what Paul is saying, that you and I who go through difficulty and hardship have the possibility of doing for another human being. And he is saying that this is part of the kingdom of God. That this is part of the plan of the kingdom of God. And this is the part that you play in it. The reason why you can relate to the Lord Jesus Christ and suffering because you know that he suffered, you see. This is why Jesus became Jesus to us, is because of what happened to him. Now, what has happened to you and to me that affected our life and has brought us into the whatever utterly unbearable <laughs> crushed, as Paul said, despairing for our very, very life. Paul is saying he has put me in a position to talk to you. You think you're suffering. And you might well be, but be it known that you do not suffer alone, that there are those who suffer with you. This suffering has prepared you not to redeem, but to comfort. Now, in closing, of all the people in the world, who would you like to be an assistant to? From time to time, it changes, you know. At one time, I'd like to, to be an uh, assistant to a baker and a cookie factory. You know, or I would like to be an uh, assistant to some great chef for just a little while, you know. Well, who would you like to be an assistant to? If you had your choice of the people that you could be an assistant to, to the president, or... Uh, I'd like to be assistant to the man that runs the great park in Alaska for maybe a year. I was talking to a man, in fact, know him real well. He works over here at Ford Motor Company, and he has some kind of position over there. He drives any kind of car or truck that he wants to drive for a year because of his position. So right now he's driving a Lincoln Continental. 
Who would you like to be assistant to you? Well, Paul is saying here, in effect, he says, you know who you're assistant to? To the Holy Spirit. You are actually assistant to the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And you are assistant to that Spirit. What an honor, our Father. Help us to take our position seriously, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.